Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Thank you, Pastor George. Hello, church. Thank you for joining us online. I'm Pastor Hector, and it's great to be with you in your homes or wherever you might be watching this. We miss you guys so much, but we are already looking forward to the day where we will see you face to face because this will pass. You know, even in the midst of this pandemic, there is one thing that we can't say enough, and that's this. The church of Jesus Christ goes on. The church goes on. The church goes on. There's no stopping it. Because Jesus long ago, Jesus long ago made sure that the holy place where God met man and man met God was no longer in a building or a temple. Jesus tore that veil and settled it once and for all that his church would be his people. We are the church. We are the church. And church is happening right now. So thank you again for tuning in. Thanks for gathering your family in your homes and joining with other families throughout our community and throughout the world who are doing the very same thing. We're doing church right now and Jesus is being glorified. So let me pray. Father, thank you for the wisdom, the creativity, and the innovation that has enabled us to gather together online today. We pray that you would be glorified in our time together and that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, today we are beginning a new three-week series titled The Road to Calvary. I'll be kicking off the series and Pastor Ron will come in with parts two and three, landing us on Resurrection Sunday. That's right, Easter is just two weeks away. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. We're looking at the beginning of Jesus's final week of life on earth with his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Now, before we get into the text, I wanted you to feel what this moment might have been like by first talking to you about weddings. How many of you like a good wedding? Go ahead and raise your hand. I, I like weddings. There's so much to love about a wedding. You get to dress up. There's great food. There might be some dancing. Come on, somebody, right? There's so much joy in celebrating love. Do you know why that is? It's because weddings speak of the kingdom of God in so many ways. If you've ever been to a wedding, you kind of know how it goes. All is calm, but there's a buzz in the air. There's excitement. There's anticipation. Everyone's looking around. Everyone is dressed up. And then it all begins. The music cranks up, and who comes in first? The groom. Looking sharp, full of joy. He's got his best man with him. And then after them comes the wedding processional. More groomsmen, this time with beautiful bridesmaids. Everyone is dressed up. Everyone is looking great. And then they all stand perfectly positioned, perfectly poised, at complete attention for the big moment. All eyes are fixed on the doors in the back. You're invited to stand, and here she comes. The doors open, and the bride enters the room, 
and the world stops. We all watch. She's breathtaking. Tears are flowing, and she walks up the aisle to meet her prince, the groom, who is ready to take her as his bride. It's a powerful and beautiful moment. It's Bible. It's the gospel. It's why we love weddings. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem here in Luke chapter 19 is very similar to that feeling. Jesus The Prince of Peace enters Jerusalem by procession, being watched and cheered on by many excited onlookers to ultimately take for himself a bride called the church. But a unique part of this love story is that before the wedding, there will be a funeral. That funeral makes this love story the greatest love story ever told. Jesus performed the greatest act of love in all of human history in order to lovingly save and serve his bride called the church. That funeral is one where Jesus will shed his blood and die in our place to once and for all conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave so that we too could wear white, showing that we're cleansed and forgiven, made pure and spotless In Jesus. He enters Jerusalem. He's ultimately on the way to the cross to die. And then he'll rise and ascend into heaven where he will be seated on a throne and rejoiced in as King of Kings forever. So let's start on the road to Calvary with verse 28 of Luke chapter 19. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of the disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus. Now let me stop there. If you're taking notes, here's point number one. Jesus is Lord. And beneath that, go ahead and write these two things. Unexpected humility and empowered representation. Unexpected humility and empowered representation. First, let's talk about that humility part. Now, hundreds of years before this moment, there was a prophecy given by a prophet named Zechariah. God promised through him, you will know that your prince has come. You will know that your king to be is among you when you see something specific. Now, here's exactly what Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Now, where's Jesus going? To Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. This is what gets me. God, 
in eternity past for this pivotal signature moment chose to enter it with such humility of all things on a donkey, not a stallion, not camels, nothing more regal. The king of kings, the prince of peace, the God of heaven and earth chose a young donkey for this great processional moment. What? That left me scratching my head. You see, for most of us at our weddings, you better believe we're renting Bentleys. Come on, somebody. We're renting limos. We might rent a horse-drawn carriage. At the very least, we're going to borrow a rich friend's car. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's appropriate. We're going to show out. It's a big day. It's to be expected. Not Jesus. He chose the unexpected. He prophesied the unexpected, and it was still unexpected. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy and exemplifying perfect humility. That's amazing to me. So let me ask you a question. Does this inspire you to insert humility into your situation or into your relationships? Listen, we are all cooped up. Things are different right now. The world has changed. So what do people expect to be squeezed out of you during this time? Anxiety? Yeah, her stress, her stress level is through the roof. She's always just consumed so much negative news all the time. So yeah, no surprise there. That's to be expected. Or how about anger? Yep, he's never spent this kind of time with his own kids. Mm-hmm. Yep, she told me it's been rough. No surprise there. That's to be expected. How about expectations that you put on yourself? Maybe the expectation to assert yourself pridefully as the keyboard cowboy. I'm going to let everyone know what I think and I'm going to show them how right I am. Or how about this? How about the self-imposed expectation to covertly cover your tracks, tell white lies, and hide what you're doing online so that you can indulge in temptation? Follow me here for a moment. What if you denied yourself? What if you humbled yourself and did the unexpected thing? What would humility do to your situation or to your relationships? For some of you, I believe it would set you free. It would set you free. Listen, I believe we have an amazing opportunity during this outbreak, church. I believe we have an opportunity to come out of this better than we did when we first went in. I don't want to be the same person when this is all said and done. I want to grow. I want to get better. I want to look, think, and act more like Jesus. I want to come out of this on the other side better than I did when I first went in. So come on, church. Let's seize this opportunity. This is our moment to grow and get better. 
Let's take the unexpected, humble approach modeled by the Lord. Let's be inspired to go low like Jesus. Amen? Secondly, this passage also shows us the benefit of empowered representation. Beginning in verse 30, we read, Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus. Notice there wasn't an argument here. Hearing the Lord needs it was enough for the owners of the young donkey. What was that like for the disciples? I mean, man, hurry up. No, no, no. You got to pull that rope to untie that knot. Oh, man, if we get caught and boom, the owners come out. They probably threw their hands up, right? Like most people do when you get caught. And just like that, they remembered the words of Jesus. They remembered that they were coming in his name. And they spoke what he told them to speak. Uh, the Lord needs it. And the scriptures don't tell us what the owner said, but they brought the donkey to Jesus which tells me that the owners, upon hearing the Lord needs it, simply nodded their heads and gave the donkey away. That's amazing. That's so awesome. That must have been so awesome for the disciples as they walked away with the donkey. And you see, as believers, we need to be reminded that you and I are backed by Jesus as well. In our oneness with Christ, you have to know that you're backed by Jesus. Come on, church. We're empowered representatives, and we have access to his name. How good is it to know that when Jesus sends you out on a mission, he's also sending you out in his power, Come on, you got to believe that. You got to internalize that. You got to walk in confidence knowing that you are backed by God himself. You're empowered by God himself to do whatever he's called you to do. Pastor Jamie last week encouraged us to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. The rhema word of God. And right now that might be more critical than ever. What if the Holy Spirit is saying to you, text that person, call that person, FaceTime that friend, Marco Polo that family member, email a coworker, or drop a DM to that person that you haven't spoken to in a long time. Listen, church, we have an opportunity here. We have an opportunity here that we can't pass up. This is challenging for me too. I grew up with the notion that no news is good news. But during a time like this, during a time of quarantine, during a time of self-isolation, that notion can be dangerous. It's time to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, and it's time to act. Be confident in knowing that when you obey, he will give you the words to speak, just like he gave the disciples what words to say to the owners of the donkey. 
It's no different for us. We have an opportunity to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. This is a time to push forward and not draw back into isolation. Don't let others even get there. You are commissioned. You are an empowered representative. Go through whatever channels you have available to you to encourage your friends and family as an empowered representative. Some of us forget that we're backed by Jesus. So say it out loud with me. I'm an empowered representative. I'm an empowered representative of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, that's point number one. We're doing good. A second thing that we learn here in this passage is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And he is the king that is worthy of exaltation, worthy of our generosity, and worthy of our worship. In verse 35, we read, So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So they go and retrieve the donkey, which is incredible generosity by the owners, by the way. I won't even mention that in my next poem, but go ahead and just pocket that one. That one is so, so good. But with the donkey... There's no saddle. And so what do the disciples do? They take their garments, they take their cloaks, and they make a makeshift saddle with to prop, in order to prop up Jesus on. They gave their cloaks so Jesus could be exalted. In this one single act, The disciples demonstrated the first two points that we're talking about here with Jesus' kingship. They were saying, Jesus is worthy of exaltation. We want to prop him up. And secondly, they were saying, Jesus is worthy of our generosity. Let's give our cloaks so it could be done. Keep in mind, these are rural townsfolk. How many cloaks do you think they owned? I would say maybe not many, maybe one. But they say, let's give our garments to get him up so everybody can see him. Let's give, let's get him up so everyone can know him. Let's get him up so that everyone can praise him. This is a powerful, beautiful kingdom moment. And we should all want to be so generous to exalt Jesus. He's worth it. He's worth it. Their generosity, the generosity of the disciples, inspired generosity in others along the path. I want to be a part of generously making a way for Jesus to be lifted up and inspiring others to do the same. So question, would you give an important possession away? Would you throw something that you valued on the ground? Maybe not. But what if it was for Jesus? The answer should always be yes. That's what we're saying. 
That's what the disciples are saying. Jesus, you're worth anything and everything. So when we pay our tithes and offerings, when we honor God with our finances, we're saying, Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. The heart of this church family is to help the hurting in our community and the hurting around the world with the love of Jesus. That's why we give in obedience to God's word in order that he would be exalted. Let's be generous, church. Let's be givers. Let's be generous. Don't hoard the toilet paper. (laughs) Come on, somebody. And last but not least, we're going to worship him because Jesus is worthy of our worship. There's two responses to Jesus here in this passage. Some shout, and some stay silent. Some people rejoice and celebrate it, and others, not so much. So we read here in verse 37. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. The people were filled with passion and emotion because there was hope in their hearts. We have someone who's going to be a mighty king. Now sadly, what they didn't know, but Jesus did, was that his coronation for his eternal throne and kingship would be something entirely different. A purple robe would be tossed on top of his bruised and beaten body. A crown of thorns would be pressed into his brow. It would single-handedly be the worst coronation of all time for the greatest king who ever was and ever will be. But that's later. For now, the people were rejoicing. And what's the other response we see in this picture? Silence. Silence that brood long enough to pop off criticisms. We read here in verse 39, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. Here's what we have to see. The truth of who Jesus is is so strong that if we, those who are made in his image and likeness, we who carry the very breath of God within us, if we don't shout and sing his praises, inanimate objects that he's created, will do so in our place because he is so worthy of worship. I'm choosing not to stay silent. I pray that that's your choice too. Christianity is really about a supernatural funeral that leads to a supernatural wedding. We put God on that tree in Calvary. I put God on that tree. Your sin, my sin, our sin, nailed him to the cross and he died. But supernaturally, he rose and he's alive and where Satan thought he had won, God's triumphant plan to show us that he still loves us was perfectly executed. 
The funeral was a part of his love plan to get to the wedding. And that's remarkable. And that's worthy of all of our worship. In life, you're going to have funeral moments. But you're also going to have wedding moments. But when you understand the wedding part as outlined by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that Jesus is like a groom and the church is like a bride, that we too get to wear white because we're forgiven and cleansed and he's a king with a kingdom that will never end and he's coming again for us. You can rejoice always. You can rejoice always. And, I, and again, I say rejoice. You can move from the funeral to the wedding regardless of what battles we face, regardless of what health battle, regardless of a global pandemic, you can rejoice. That's the movement of the gospel. Folks, the wedding is set. It is finished. Jesus conquered sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave, and Jesus will return one day for his bride, the church. And that's worth rejoicing in over and over and over and over again. Come on, somebody. So good. And in this season, let that truth move you to connect with friends and family especially during this time of social distancing. Get creative and innovative with the technology available to you, even if it's just a phone call or an email or a handwritten letter. There's so many fun ways to connect socially right now. Find one and use it. Let everyone around you know that there's a reason to rejoice, and his name is Jesus. Church, you're the hope of the world today because of Jesus in you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for helping us to see Jesus today, to see him as Lord and King. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. Holy Spirit, help us to be humble yet confident as your empowered representatives. Help us to live out Jesus' worth by exalting him, by generously giving like he did and like his disciples did and by worshiping him. Help us, Jesus, to rejoice always in the fact that you conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Help us during these times to carry that message that's so full of joy forward to everyone that we know. We know that the church goes on, and we are so thankful to you to be a part of it. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and King and Savior, and you're sensing right now in your heart of hearts that that's what you need, it's very simple. Repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived without sin, died on Calvary for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave and are seated at the right hand of God the Father. You are Lord and King forever.
Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me white as snow. I receive you in my life today. Guide me by your Holy Spirit every day so I can rejoice in you always. In your holy name I pray, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.